months ago, we had planned to start a summer series this weekend on the Psalms in the Old Testament. Psalms are often read, but rarely studied. We use them as prayers, but we don't frequently preach them. We're calling this series Say Anything because the Psalms give us words to express the whole range of human emotions. In light of what's happened over the past two weeks in our city, it is crucial that we as Christ followers learn how to communicate with God unfiltered, to bring everything before him with brutal honesty. And there are 150 individual Psalms in our Bible that literally help us say anything and everything to God. The Psalms were like a hymn book for ancient Israel. They're not quite like the hymn book that we have in our pews at CPC. They don't have individual copies, but they would have all sung them together. In fact, the Jewish people memorized these psalms to give them words to communicate whatever they were feeling to God. Jesus himself would have memorized and known and sung and prayed these psalms. Sunday afternoon, I took my family to Minneapolis, to 38th and Chicago to see the place where George Floyd's life was taken. I felt like it was important for me and my family to see it and to be near it. We needed to participate and to be present. We needed to shed tears and pray together. I just needed my body to be there and take it in. What we do, what we participate in, shapes us including what we say and even what we sing. I'm in no form or fashion what you would call a singer. But trained singers will tell you that singing is about far more than just the words to a song, that singing is a physical, mental, and emotional experience. The acts of singing and praying and speaking out loud shape us. And the Psalms give us words that are meant to be spoken, prayed, and sung. The words of these ancient prayers are meant to shape us and shape the way we relate to God in the midst of our world. So whether life is good or bad, we learn that it is natural for us to respond to the things of life by saying anything to God. There are several different kinds of psalms, and over the next eight weeks, we'll explore many of them. But today, we are starting with what is known as a psalm of lament. A psalm of lament gives words to when life feels disoriented. That feels appropriate right now, doesn't it? This psalm of lament starts with these words. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. These words start us off asking for help. Rebuke me not, nor discipline me. Be gracious to me. Heal me. I need help. In a popular TED Talk, Margaret Heffernan tells the story of one of the best engineering firms in the world. They were hired to build the equestrian center for the Olympics in Beijing. 
they had to figure out how to create a space that not only held 2,000 plus large animals, high-strung horses dealing with jet lag that had been flown across the world, but they also had to understand how to take care of the waste that such a facility might produce over the course of several weeks. Now, this is not exactly a problem that you learn how to solve in engineering school. And it is not a problem that you want to get wrong. And so they took their work very seriously. But most firms would have done all of this work to research, to talk to vets and other engineers, to work on spreadsheets and and, and do all of this work. But they thought, you know, somebody has solved this problem before. So they called the Jockey Club in New York. And whereas to do all of the work themselves, they would have taken months, they asked for help, and in less than a day, they had solved the problem. They asked for help. It is counterintuitive for many of us to ask for help. Especially as Americans, we are rugged individualists. We believe that we can handle anything ourselves. We might even think, that asking for help makes us look weak. And this is one of the things that the Psalms are trying to get you to see, that to ask for help is not to show how weak you are. It's ultimately what gives you strength. Psalm 6 is not just a lament psalm. It's also considered to be a psalm of David. And David was the king of Israel. And what you need to know about the king of ancient Israel is the king was the people's representative before God. He stood before God as a representative of all the people. And so David is modeling how to be strong by asking for help, by admitting his own weaknesses. If you're anything like me, you don't enjoy admitting your weaknesses. But I think with all that's gone on over the past few weeks, even the past few months, I am finding it harder and harder just to fake a smile and say, oh, we're good. Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. The Psalms are giving us language, giving us words to move beyond a Minnesota nice relationship with God. The Psalms help us imagine a world where it's normal to say, I'm overwhelmed, help. The words of Psalm 6 put language to the exhaustion and uncertainty that we're all feeling. In fact, he says a peculiar phrase. He says, for I am languishing. It's not language we use every day, but the Hebrew word for languish means sickness or weakness. And the ancient world was not like our world. When we get sick, we generally assume we're going to get better. We see the doctor, we take medicine, But in the ancient world, when you had a sickness or an illness, there was always this lingering question in the back of your mind. Will this be my destiny? Will this be the end of me? Will I ever get better? With everything that's going on in our world right now, I think many of us are asking that question, will it ever get better? And we fear that this might be our destiny. Do you feel that anxiousness around how things are going to turn out. 
And if we want to open ourselves to God's possibilities, to what God might be trying to do, we have to start by asking for help. And David continues in verse 3, and he says, My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? These are words that Christians have been using for lament for centuries. How long, O Lord? But they are also words of belief. You ask for help when you believe that something better is possible. Asking for help is actually an act of faith and an act of hope. When we first moved to Minneapolis, we had asked for help. Now, we didn't really know anyone here, but we asked for help and someone organized a crew of people to come over, show up at our house, and help us unload these pods in our driveway full of furniture and large, heavy boxes. So one afternoon, we had arranged for all these people to come. And about one hour before everyone showed up, we heard our doorbell ring. And I went to the door, and there was Rich Larson. Rich Larson, who I had never met. You probably know Rich. Rich sings for us and leads worship and contemporary for us. Rich was standing there ready to help. And I really wanted to tell him, hey, buddy, you're, you're an hour early. You want to hang out for a little bit? And we'll, we'll start working when everyone else gets here. But being a new guy and trying to make a good impression, I just had to roll up my sleeves and we started to work. Now, I really just wanted to wait for everyone else to show up so that it wasn't just Rich and I unloading all of this stuff by ourselves. But somehow the two of us managed to unpack an entire pod in an hour before anybody else showed up. And I really just wanted to wait. We needed so much help and people showed up. They came through. Sometimes it's hard to ask for help. But to never ask for help would have been to write off the possibility that help would come. We asked for help as an act of believing that people would come through. When we, as Christ followers, don't ask God for help, our faith actually deteriorates. It crumbles. Because you cannot ultimately have faith in a God that you don't believe will come through. And on the other hand, when we ask God for help, when we ask him for help with our lives and the world, it stretches us. It stretches our faith. It gives us room to grow, to ask for help grows your faith because asking God for help means that you're doubling down on the belief that God has a powerful part to play in the midst of what's going on in our lives and even in our world. And that gives us the boldness to say things like this in verse 4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Now look, I, I know the Psalms can be confusing. In fact, they're written as poetry, so they often need a little bit of decoding. These peculiar words in these verses are a demonstration of a relationship. I'll show you how. He uses the words steadfast love. These words themselves are actually a code in Scripture for God has made 
a commitment. That these words proclaim a deeper truth that God has initiated a relationship with us, with his people. We call it a covenant relationship and that God will always come through. That God will not fail on his end of the relationship. And then in the next verse, he says, in Sheol, who will give you praise? Which is honestly a bold thing to say. God, if, if I lose my life, who's, who's going to praise you? And it demonstrates that he has a trusting relationship. But the word Sheol in the Hebrew was a word that really meant death and eternal separation from God. It meant that a relationship with God had been permanently severed. And so in these verses, the idea of a relationship with God is the priority. And think about it. You most readily ask for help from people you trust, from people that you have a relationship with, from people that you think are for you. A few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, I got a phone call from a local news station. It was a reporter asking if she could come and interview me just to talk about what churches were doing in the midst of coronavirus. And I'll be honest, I tried to get out of it. I tried everything I could think of in my head and I was just coming up blank and I had no excuses. And so finally I said, sure, we can meet. And so we met and she interviewed me, but I'll be honest, I tried so hard to not give her anything that she could misconstrue to make me look like a fool on TV. You know how these local television interviews go. They, they get somebody in a parking lot to say something and it sounds ridiculous. I was not going to let that happen to me. So I gave the most vanilla, boring, guarded interview you could ever imagine. And do you know what happens when you give a vanilla, boring, guarded interview? They don't use most of it. They just completely ignore it. But I didn't know them. I didn't trust them. I didn't trust what they would do with my words. I didn't have any relationship with those people. When you have a trusting relationship, you feel like you can be honest and your words won't be used against you and they won't change the way the person feels or behaves towards you. And that's the kind of relationship God wants with us. A relationship where we can say anything and trust that he is with us and he's for us. We can say things like this in verse six and seven. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. These words very well describe the reality of so many in our city and in our country right now. But over the past few months, every one of us have experienced our own individual personal losses and anxieties, big and small. We face the loss of loved ones and friends and neighbors. We've had nervous moments with our health. We've had stress at work or school or home often has been the same place. But you take our own personal losses and griefs and then you add a pandemic on top of it. And you add in lockdowns and shutdowns. You add in isolation and uncertainty and loneliness. And then on top of that, you add unrest in our city. 
You add injustice and anger and fear. This is what professionals call complicated or compounded grief. It means that there are multiple layers of grief in our lives stacking up over time. And what we know about compounded grief is we cannot keep living this way, that it forces us to say we need help. We can't keep going like this. And when we acknowledge our help, acknowledge our need for help, when we acknowledge that we can't keep doing it on our own, we can't keep doing it at all, we make space for God's purposes for our lives. We make space for God to do what only he can do in us and in the world. Tim Keller, in a wonderful little book on the Psalms, says, when we worship the creator God with our whole truthful self, we trust and the Psalms strongly encourage this trust that we will be remade, that we will be remade. In our deepest need, we find that we are not alone. That Jesus identifies with us in our brokenness. That the one who goes to the cross cries help alongside us. And that our life that was headed towards death is now exchanged for a life of praise because of his sacrifice. When we are remade through the sacrifice of Jesus, we know firsthand that crying out to God changes everything. Even in the worst of times, Christians cling to the truth that God comes through because we know personally that Jesus comes through for us and that God can handle our grief and our neediness. But we have to learn to handle giving it over to him. And that Jesus, the Savior, can handle the world's cries for help. And we are called to follow him into the fray, to follow him into the mess. And that allows us to live with a different posture as the world seems to be unraveling around us. CPC has a long history of living in the tension We've made space for people from all sides, politically, theologically, socially, to come together and to find common ground around Jesus. I would dare say it's one of the things that makes us strongest as a church. Last week, after everything that happened surrounding George Floyd's death, we knew that we had to say something, even if we knew it would be imperfect. We did the best that we could to lead all of us into the tension because we believe that God is up to something in this moment. One side says we don't talk about justice enough. One side, the other side says all we do is talk about justice. But I want you to know that I love you no matter what side you're on. And I want all of us to come to know Jesus and to know the freedom that he can only bring. Freedom from all kinds of oppression. And more importantly, I want Jesus to press into all of us to show that we all have room to grow and that we all have room to grow towards one another. 
when life gets hard for us as individuals and as a society, asking God for help makes space for what God wants to do in our lives and in the world. Our world is suffering right now. There's no, there's no getting around it. There are a lot of people trying to be experts, trying to be judges, trying to be saviors. Most people are just having their own views reinforced right now. What if the church took a different posture? I believe that this is our moment to cry out to God. This is our moment to cry help. This is our moment to not take sides, but to seek God in humility. I think that what's going on in the world right now should force us to beg the question, what is Jesus up to? What's God doing right now? And I think that if we refuse to turn to God for help, we will miss the opportunities for healing and for hope and for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. When we say help, it deepens our faith and it deepens our dependence upon Jesus. And without those things, we have nothing to offer the world. And when we say help, it opens us to what God is doing in our lives and in the world. It aligns our hearts and our lives with God's heart and God's desire. So when the world is overwhelming, and maybe just when your own life is overwhelming, I want to encourage you to do something really small, to start small and cry out help to the God who hears you, who knows you, who loves you and who cares. Say help to God because he is worthy of hearing our cries. Amen.